Hello. Bonjour. Welcome back to Tales from the Chesterfield. Oh yeah. Episode. I don't even know. 18? 17? 17? Episode 17. 18. Last week's episode was my birthday episode. I am now coming to you from the future past. (laughs) Past future. The past of the best. I'm still 34. When this episode comes out, I will be 35. Her knees are 96. 96. If you listened to the Wetlawfer case, um, you would have heard the good old crunchy crack of my crunchy but sexiness <laughs> that is me the specimen we've we went off on a tangent that i were, wasn't thinking we were going to be going off on here but that's fine yeah that's no. fine welcome to february you, you know what you're here for welcome to february i hope everybody got through january if you did dry january congratulations Hell yeah i did not <laughs> no me neither so but i know a lot of people that did and i think it's a great way to start the year um, I, mean, I have no willpower over my choice of what I put in my body. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. <laughs> um, I have so many dirty jokes that I want to say, but I can't because we, ha- we do, yeah, we do have a couple uh, of under- Oh, I can't. <laughs> Everybody can assume what I would be saying, be, but we do have a few people under the age of 18, so I'm not going to make the jokes, but if you're above 18, you, you know. You, you know the jokes. You know uh, the jokes. Okay. Today we're heading to, for the very first time, to yeah. a brand new province that we have not talked about. It's not a brand new province. It's a tried and true, but we've never been to... Newfoundland. Newfoundland. And today we are heading there and we are very, very excited. I want to visit Newfoundland. Yes, um, me too. Badly. And I, we actually had a co-worker from Newfoundland and I just loved mm-hmm. hearing her speak. Mm-hmm. I loved hearing her speak. Yeah. It was when I think of Canada, I think of her. Yeah, it's the Canadian It's that stereotypical accent. Canadian accent. Where yeah. It's the accent everybody who when we go over the border, everyone's like, Oh, this is what they're supposed to sound like. Oh, you don't sound like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But here we are in Newfoundland, and we're going to get this party started. I just want to preface this. I had no idea about this case. I didn't know her. I didn't know nothing. I'm obsessed. I love this case. Um, and it's a wild ride. So. I'm excited. I d- actually didn't pre-read this one. Sometimes we do, sometimes yeah. we don't. Didn't pre-read this one because Kayla was so excited. So I wanted to learn as sh- as we share together. Yeah, so. this is the quickest episode I've written as well. I learned about the case. I said, sure, this is something a little bit different than what we have done, so let's throw it in. I listened to one podcast. I couldn't even tell you what it was because it was. I just got so obsessed that I read everything about this case right after, and I busted this episode out in an evening. That's kind of like how I feel about Lars... Mm. Lars Mitank. Mitank. Lars Mitank. And if you have not listened to that episode it's because you're not a patreon um he, what are you doing with yeah your life? what are you doing with your life he is a missing german who went missing in bulgaria and we chatted about him all over on our oddities episode i also got obsessed right after i had no idea who lars was and directly after when you left my house Nate and I bunkered into my brand new mattress and we watched a whole bunch of stuff on YouTube because it's so interesting. It is. It is super duper interesting. And you 
can hear that episode if you are a $10 and up Patreon. So please head on over there. The link Going is... Over. That's yeah, five Timmy's coffees. Yeah, you can buy us a coffee five times, and we would appreciate it so, 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 so much. And we'll both drink one, two separately, and we'll share the third. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> and with that, let's get on with the show. Imagine celebrating a new year, celebrating endings as they precede new beginnings. There's nothing magical about opening a new calendar, but December 31st, at the stroke of midnight, a sense of clean slate looms in the air. With fireworks and a kiss, we set our intentions for the new year. After phoning his mother at midnight on New Year's Day, Greg Parsons was hoping for a better year than the many that came before this one. What he didn't know was that two days later, he would be the prime suspect in his mother's murder trial. This tale from the Chesterfield is about the murder of Catherine Carroll in an episode we call The The Tale Tale of of Two Two Trials. Just as New Year's Day began at midnight in 1991 in St. John's, Newfoundland, Catherine was alone in the home that she and her son, Greg, shared up until recently. Greg had decided to spend New Year's Eve with his girlfriend Tina at her home so they could be together while babysitting her younger brother. Greg and Catherine had gotten into a fight a few days before and he decided it was best to stay out of the home and away from his mother for a while. Feeling bad his mom was home alone for New Year's Eve, he was sure to give her a call to ensure she knew he was thinking about her, and no matter the fight, he was still there for her. Never could he imagine that this would be the last time he would speak to his mom. New Year's Day came and went, and Greg found it strange that his mother never phoned him again after they spoke two days prior. Greg reached out over the phone multiple times, but Catherine never picked up his call. Now concerned, he decided to go by the house, just to touch base and make amends. While they had a rocky relationship, he was still her son, and he wanted to make sure that she was okay, Okay, as he would check up on her every couple of days. When he got there around 10.30 p.m. with his girlfriend, Tina, he noticed the front door was locked, and having just moved out of the house and into his own apartment, he did not have a key. His mom wasn't answering the door, and this just wasn't like her. Their family dog was barking nonstop as he tried to open the front and back doors. He decided he was getting into the house and was able to open a ground floor window and go inside. As he moved through the home, he did not notice anything suspicious. Going upstairs, he noticed his mother's body, bloodied and laying dead on the bathroom floor. Greg ran out of the house and called 911 immediately. In the 911 call, Greg is clearly frantic. He is begging the officers to come in quickly and that he only peeked in and saw blood everywhere. The main reason for Greg's concern prior to the discovery of his body was that Catherine had a long struggle with alcohol addiction. Her upbringing was a difficult one and Greg's was not much better. Catherine was divorced and a single mom to Greg. Greg would often find his mom intoxicated and would have to rush her to the hospital for intervention. During Greg's childhood, there were times where he would have to be removed from the home by children's aid due to Catherine's addictions. Greg later explained that there was physical abuse and he often didn't have regular meals. From a very young age, Greg had to get a job to be able to provide for himself and his mom. 
Greg did have a small but good group of friends that would come over, they would hang out in the basement, drink beer, and have jam sessions. While in a difficult position, Greg still respected his mom and speaks about her fighting spirit that both he and Catherine never gave up on. Along with alcohol, Catherine would often use drugs and exhibited mental health concerns. At just 19 years old, just before Christmas of 1990, Greg decided to leave the home and his mom and move into an apartment just five minutes away. The Royal Newfoundland Constabulary arrived quickly on the evening of January 2nd when Greg found his mother there on the bathroom floor. At the time, friends and family assumed it may have been a suicide, something that she had attempted in the past. At no point did they automatically assume it was murder. The police, on the other hand, having more time with the body at the moment, knew it was murder, and they also theorized rather quickly that it must have been Greg. Hmm. With no sign of forced entry into the home, and Greg being the one who called 911, police knew that it had to have been somebody who knew Catherine, or perhaps someone who had access to the home. Based on the crime scene, they also theorized that it was a rage killing due to the amount of blood present around and on her body. In examining the bathroom, the, the police were also quick to note that the killer had taken a shower after Catherine had been killed, as a new bar of soap had been opened, blood and water had been mixed on the bathroom floor, and a bloody towel was thrown into the washing machine. As quickly as this had all happened, the police were ready to fit the evidence to their main suspect, Greg. But what evidence? Police noted that Greg was acting cold as they worked their way through the crime scene. After autopsy, it was determined that Catherine had been stabbed and slashed a total of 53 times across the head, face, and torso. The medical examiner also determined that Catherine died on January 1st between 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. Based on this time, Greg did not have an alibi. Tina's father had drove Greg back to her apartment at 3 a.m. where he lived alone, so no one could corroborate where he was between that two-hour window. So all of this is yeah. circumstantial evidence. They don't pull fingerprints or any DNA at the time. DNA science really at this point had never been fully developed. It's 1991. So sure, there's no forced entry. There's no disruption in the home. But that doesn't mean that her son is the one who's done it. And Greg doesn't have a key anymore. Mm -mm. Hence he, he couldn't get in to find her. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't have a key anymore. This is really unfortunate timing that he had just moved out. But again... They got into doesn't... a fight... They got into a fight, but I mean... You're fitting the evidence to what you want. Yeah. Not fitting the evidence to an actual case. Yeah, absolutely. And in all fairness, he may not have an alibi, but for him to just so happen to have been dropped off at 3 a.m. where he lived alone, that would mean that he would have had to decide to kill his mother on the ride home, <laughs> walk five... I know that they're close... Distance-wise, walk the five minutes, murder his mother, and then come back. And he's only five minutes away. Why would he shower at his mother's house mm -hmm. when he's not far from his own home, mm -hmm. knowing that you're going to leave evidence behind if you have a shower in the, the person's home that you have yeah. now murdered? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I think we're all in agreement that this is just circumstantial evidence, and a lot of it is tunnel vision on the police's part. And that's another thing. I do find that police, in a lot of cases, tend to hone in on the person who called 911 very, very yeah. quickly. We look at, like, Michael Peterson. We look a lot, a, a lot of people 
it's it almost makes you fearful to call the police mm-hmm. if you find a dead body. And I've actually heard other podcasters talk about that. Like, if you stumbled on a dead body, <laughs> would you call? Because you're automatically so enthralled in this. But yeah. I think I would still call because of course you're stumbled on of the body. Course. Like you're still I'm not gonna, gonna do, yeah. think. Oh, the police are gonna think I yeah. did it. Yeah, it's just, it just, this just feels like a cop out, which I'm sure we're going to go on to discuss. I bring you to the most circumstantial piece of evidence in the case. Greg and his friends would often listen to rock and roll, write their own music, and jam out with a few beers. Police spoke with Greg's friends, trying to get a handle on who Greg was and if he was the cold 19 year old that they had met at the crime scene. Albeit they didn't take into consideration the state of shock he must have been in. A tape recording of a jam session original was handed over to the police by Greg's friend, Brian Doyle. A tape of a song that was written by Greg and his friends and performed in that very basement titled, Kill Your Parents. Come on. <laughs> Are you joking? I know. This is Marilyn Manson and this is, the Columbine shooting all over this again. This is angsty bullshit. I adore my mother. My mother is my best friend. Do you know how many times <laughs> as a teenage girl I want to, I wrote about how much I hated oh, her? Oh, my diary? Yeah. Oh, you would think I would murder everybody if you Absolutely. saw my diary Absolutely. Angsty bullshit. We grew up during emo time. This like, is the this, 90s. This is the 90s. Grunge time. Yeah. And the thing is, is if they often, I okay, what I will to play devil's advocate for one very minimal second of how I'm feeling at this moment, if they went down, if they jammed together and always sang gospel music and then out of nowhere, Greg's like, guys, (laughs) I've got this song. It's a banger. (laughs) It's called Kill Your Parents. And it was this one song that was kind of off the cuff. Yeah. Yeah. Then, okay. But it's rock and roll, bro. Like, yeah. it's going to be angsty this stuff. This is the era of Green Day's Dookie. Oh, yeah. You know, like, it's just, yeah, I, yeah you're, you're looking for more indirect evidence to put onto Greg, and then this buddy comes, he's like, I need to get you to listen to this song. Also, it's Kill Your Parents. He's a, he is the son of a single mother Mm -hmm. as a daughter of a single mother Mm -hmm. i never ever referred to even when i had a stepfather it was my mom and stepfather it was never my parents yeah and i find that that other people who had step parents this was i know there's people with very close step parents i'm not jumbling together Mm -hmm. but this turbulence and having a single mother Mm -hmm. i wouldn't if i was gonna kill my mom which i'm absolutely not going to but as a teenager (laughs) As a teenager in that feeling, if I was going to write an angry song, it would have been called Kill Your Mother. It wouldn't be called Kill My Mother. It wouldn't be called Kill My Parents, Kill Your Parents. It would be called I Want to Kill My Mother. Yeah. (laughs) Because I'm a stupid teenager. But, and that's, that's my only, that's my only parent, right? Like, I don't care who my, my mom's dating. He's, he's part of the angst in me. Yeah. I'm connecting with Greg a lot. I know. Okay. Just eight days later, the police showed up at Tina's doorstep to inform her that Greg had been arrested and charged with Catherine's murder. The trial began on September 23, 1993. That's two years later. Wow. As we mentioned, the entire case was based on circumstantial evidence. While DNA was collected at the crime scene and tested for Greg's, the test came back inconclusive. The entire trial was presented with rumors and gossip and the fact that he was part of this basement band with these questionable lyrics. 
clutch my pearls. Yeah. While I do believe there's a place in trial for circumstantial evidence, it has to be coupled with physical and direct evidence with a purpose to build the story. Mm -hmm. For the prosecutors, all they had was a story built from a quick and negligent investigation. Indirect evidence are those that can't prove a fact. Instead, it's used to raise logical conclusions when facts exist. A good example of this would be a fingerprint found at a crime scene. The existence of a fingerprint is circumstantial. It could be anyone's. But does it indicate that another person was in the space at the time? Yes. Mm -hmm. Does it mean that that was the person who killed the other person? No. Right. So you need other direct evidence to corroborate almost that circumstantial evidence. Mm -hmm. Direct evidence would then be able to link the fingerprint to the suspect with proof that the person was there during the time of the crime. Perhaps it's a bloody fingerprint on a weapon. Both parts of this evidence would then be examined in court to prove fact. A really good high-profile case of this type of evidence being used for conviction is that of Scott Peterson for the murder of his wife, Lacey Peterson, and their unborn son in 2004. One of my favorite true crime cases mm. in the and I never so one of the reasons sorry to interrupt no. one of the reasons that Scott Peterson became one of my favorite the Lacey Peterson case was because Modesto California mm. drove to San Francisco mm -hmm. I literally was listening to the red-handed episode on them and I was on the, the highway freaking, on the freeway I was on the free I was <laughs> whatever you call on it in Altamont. I was on the Altamont when they mentioned the freaking Altamont <laughs> and I was like oh my gosh I've driven the same highway as Scott Peterson yeah. when he murdered his wife because I have there's a lot of Scott Peterson supporters I absolutely do believe that he murdered his wife yes um yeah me too this is one though that there's so much circumstantial evidence that mm -hmm. it can't possibly be ignored mm -hmm. and that's the case one a couple of lyrics a drop-off at 5 a.m. and a turbulent... Was it really that turbulent? Yeah. You could also argue yeah. that it's not. They talked at midnight on New Year's Eve once they had a fight. You get into spats with your parents. Mm -hmm. You still love them. Mm -hmm. You still think, oh, mom's alone on New Year's Eve. Let me just give Let her me a give call. Let me give her a call. And he did that. Yeah. And, he, well, I don't know yet, so I'm purely... Tina hasn't said that there was a fight on the phone on New Year's Eve. No, and so, there wasn't. And there wasn't. No, so, no. you know, if there was a fight on the phone, that could be something that could add to the circumstantial evidence, mm -hmm. of course. But if there's no fight and he's feeling bad that his mom's alone on New Year's Eve, mm -hmm. it, it's just not, it's not the circumstantial evidence that Scott Peterson's got. It's just not. So the trial lasted six months until February 15th, 1994, when Greg was found guilty of second-degree murder of his own Second-degree murder, okay. Greg said he knew that he would be found guilty just by watching the looks on the jury's faces. He was sentenced to life with the possibility of parole after 15 years served. So I'm going to go back again to what I originally said. That means that he got dropped off at 3 a.m., got exceptionally mad <laughs> really, really quickly because this second-degree murder means that it's not planned there's not premeditated there's no premeditation he he got dropped off at 3 a.m and, and said time to go kill my mom like but what that would even be premeditation because you plan yeah so he got dropped off at 3 a.m went to visit I'm his mom. Go see my mom i'm gonna go see my mom at 3 a.m which you don't do. you don't do i'm gonna go see my mom at 3 a.m you get there a fight ensues you murder her within that two hours and then you leave but you have time to shut no okay <laughs> i'm sorry i shouldn't i shouldn't jump to the conclusion here Let's get through this. 
As you can imagine, Greg and his lawyers would not accept this conviction and successfully won an appeal. Six weeks after his conviction date, the appeals court quickly overturned the conviction and he was released on bail pending a new trial date. In the same year, Greg and Tina married in a spring wedding. That's interesting. And also speaks to mm-hmm. Greg's character, I think, because if she truly thought that yeah. he murdered his mom. Yeah. You know, unless something's innately wrong with Tina, which I'm going to say that there's not. No, there's but not. There's not. Um, yeah. Like, if I'm just dating this dude and three minutes, if I believe that three hours after, not even five minutes after he left <laughs> yeah. my house, that he went and murdered his mother in cold blood, I'm not marrying this guy. Tina was two months pregnant at the time with their son, Zachary. Greg, determined to build a better life for his family, returned to school and began studying business. Awesome. During this time as well, forensic science was seeing incredible advancements in DNA testing. Greg did not just feel relieved that he was getting a chance at at an appeal. He spent time trying to focus on who killed his mother, because obviously the police are only focusing on him. Realistically, this is the quickest turnaround time that I have ever heard for an appeal. True. People usually sit in jail for a number of years before decisions like this get made. It was the scientific advancements and the lack of direct evidence that turned this appeal that turned this appeal around as quickly as it did. Lack of direct evidence was not the only factor at play here. The appeals court also took into consideration the lack of evidence linked to their song, as well as a comment that was made during the trial, quote, if Greg Parsons didn't kill his mother, who did? Who says that in court <laughs> trying to kick, convict somebody? I'm yeah. telling you all this evidence and, you know, if it wasn't him, then who was it? Like, <laughs> random acts of violence? Drunk person? You know what I mean? Like, it's New Year's Eve. Like, it's New Year's Day yeah. morning. Mm-hmm. The early hours of New Year's Day morning. Mm-hmm. I don't want to bring up her struggle with with alcohol abuse, but it has to be mentioned. Yeah. Um, we don't know what she, you know, who she may have invited over to her home. Fair, yeah. Yet, so I, I don't know. We mm-hmm. don't know this information. And it, what it sounds like so far is that there wasn't even, they didn't even do any investigation. They were just no. like, oh, there's Greg. Yeah, get him. Wrap That's, it up. Yeah, put his cuffs on, get him in the back He of looks the truck. like a guy who would open a fresh new bar of soap after murdering his mom. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, it's, no, it's 100% the tunnel vision. Whoever decided it was Greg at that crime scene and the six days that followed, they just wanted to find, quote unquote, evidence to mm-hmm. corroborate their lack of investigative work and pull anything that would then confirm their bias against Greg. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I hate when that happens because then, yeah, somebody goes free and mm-hmm. the victim is forgotten. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that he's still looking into, of course he's going to look into his mother's murder, but, and also this is where what I say, whenever someone is found innocent or whenever someone's acquitted, I always look for the, where's the justice then? Like Casey Anthony. Anthony. Yeah. Casey Anthony. Yeah. So... Even even somebody like O.J. Simpson, mm-hmm. he went like he he did a fist thing, like a happy thing, not a then who killed my my wife. Yeah, right. I always look for that, and that's exactly what's happening here. Mm-hmm. He is like, well, no, it it wasn't me, it wasn't me. Then who was who it? Who was it? <laughs> yes, it's not Greg. Who was it? Yeah. <laughs> I want to know just as you do. Yeah. If there's one positive thing we can say about the police in this case was that not only did they collect the evidence from the crime scene as well as Catherine's body, they also 
shockingly kept the evidence. Far too often do we hear of evidence going missing, getting tainted by not being stored properly, or even getting mislabeled and then lost among other evidence. Detectives had the evidence, and with new technology began testing the DNA from the crime scene. Now, police were able to test blood samples that were taken on the day of Catherine's discovery. You may be thinking, okay, while he's out of jail, things are looking good for Greg, but his life was anything but smooth at this time. Besides having to check in with police on a daily basis, he had a constant following of police watching his every move. Greg states that one day while smoking a joint behind the gym, the police sicked their dog on him and then told Greg that this was all just one big Mm -hmm. coincidence. I would assume that the police probably still thought he did it and he continued to be a danger to society. And this may come as a complete another surprise. So adjust your face accordingly. (laughs) The DNA found at the crime scene (laughs) Mm -hmm. was tested and the results came back. And it did not match that of Greg Parsons. Oh, I I feel like Maury. Greg Parsons, you are not the killer. Facts. (laughs) Fully believe. And this is just a pure and blatant disregard to this man's right as a Canadian citizen. You are innocent until proven guilty. And in a state of appeal, you are innocent. You mm-hmm. are not proven guilty. Mm-hmm. And this just this is just the beautiful cherry on top of this cake. It's not I look out my window and they're sitting down the street. They sicked their canine, their police dog, on the poor guy when he was out at the gym. Like I don't care that he was smoking a joint. Yeah, that's neither here nor there. That's a plant. You light it on fire. <laughs> effects. You know, but like you let your dog attack a man. And then just be like, oh, damn, that that was coincidence. And the fact that there's DNA. Now they have concrete evidence, DNA. This is no, this is not circumstantial Mm -hmm. evidence. This is hard evidence. This is science. This is science. This is hard evidence. This is what you would base any other. These police officers would base another crime, a Mm -hmm. complete different crime. Mm-hmm. With this evidence that it's not that this DNA has said it's not this person, they would then say, okay, this person is innocent. Yeah. But because they have their bias to him. Mm-hmm. What the new testing of this DNA did show was that Catherine's DNA was mixed with an unknown DNA. So, assumably, the DNA of her killer. Mm-hmm. Greg was fully exonerated of his mother's murder in January 1998. Okay. Okay. They're not following him for six months. They're <laughs> following him for six years. Yeah. Yeah. This man had his rights taken away for six years. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if it's in here, but I hope that Greg was given some sort of compensation. But we're not at the end of the episode, so I feel like there's a lot more going on that I am forget I said anything. No, we're Maybe keep halfway. It in- Keep it in your noggin somewhere because, yeah, we're about halfway. Alrighty. So I know we don't trust the police at this point, and I totally get it. But what they did continue to do was move forward and continue to try to find Catherine's true killer. Over the course of two years, they followed tips but no leads. And the case was seemingly going nowhere because it's been six years and they haven't followed up with any other suspects Mm -hmm. they haven't entered from what our knowledge is they haven't interviewed anybody just anybody else just Greg and Brian (laughs) 
Brian about some lyrics. At this point, we also have to remember we are nearly a decade since the murder took place. And then, as if out of thin air, an anonymous tip gets called into the station telling the police they should be looking at Brian Doyle. The same Brian Doyle who gave the police that tape recording of Kill Your Parents. By this time, Brian had moved to Toronto, Ontario, where he was racking up a slew of criminal activity like drug trafficking and theft. With the support of the Peel Regional Police, they began a surveillance operation, and just like in the movies, they watched and waited until Brian discarded a cigarette butt in a public space. I love that when that happens in movies, too. <laughs> they put down the coffee cup, yeah. and they're like, no, 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 they run over, and they collect it, they put it in a baggie. Yeah. <laughs> Police swooped in, picking up that cigarette, and sent it off to the labs. The DNA proved to be a partial match. Lead investigator Robert Johnston was convinced that they had their killer. Now it was a matter of arrest and conviction. In order to make the arrest happen, Johnston launched a full-scale undercover Mr. Big police sting. It was called Mr. Big? Yeah, so there's actually um, a police sting operation known as Mr. Big. It's very controversial in Canadian um, policing. But yes, it wasn't like you and I conducted a sting and we were going to call it the podcasters are the greatest in the world sting. (laughs) Or like Operation Snake Podcasters. Um, Yeah, it's actually an actual type of police sting and they call it mr big that's interesting that's almost like operation warhead where Mm. they um caught all the pedophiles Mm -hmm. the operation involved a police officer posing as a black market dealer selling alcohol and cigarettes out of his pickup truck brian noticed the dealer and approached him looking to help the business by selling on the dealer's behalf to make some extra money as the operation continued brian was offered more money for more criminal activity mm, I see why it's controversial. The officer then began to ask Brian if he would be willing to prove his loyalty to the boss by killing the officer's wife. After agreeing to meet up with the fictional boss of this supposed crime family, Brian confessed in detail every gruesome step he took into killing Catherine Carroll. As the details played out, both Johnston and appeal inspector Mike McMullen were sitting in an adjacent hotel room recording the entire conversation. Brian was reluctant at first to tell the people in the hotel room that he was responsible for the murder of Catherine. After the officer told him that he could then leave, Brian got up from the couch, walked over to the door, locked it, and admitted he was in another dimension that night. Being New Year's Eve, his night started like any other. He was at a party. After having drinks, he decided he would also smoke some weed and take some acid. Putting on somebody else's shoes, he leaves the party and decides he would go to his buddy Greg's mother's house. Hmm. Catherine, having already spoken to Greg around midnight, goes to sleep. Around 3 a.m., she's awakened by her dog, so she gets up to investigate. Slowly, she moves down the hallway and calls out, asking, What are you doing here, Greg? Thinking it was her son. Without a response, she begins walking back to her bedroom, And in the dark, she sees a man standing in the doorway of her son's room, but it's not Greg. She tells him to leave her house while frantically trying to escape to her bathroom, but the man has a knife and proceeds to stab and slash her a total of 53 times. Brian entered the home through the basement window. 
Seeing a blue serrated kitchen knife, he takes it and walks upstairs and goes into Greg's old bedroom. Here, he strips naked and sees Catherine as she's returning to her bedroom. After he's finished attacking her, she lay dying on the bathroom floor. He steps over her body and decides to take a shower. After throwing his used and still bloody towel in the washing machine, he gets dressed and leaves the way he had come. He tells the undercover officer, it felt fucking great when Greg got arrested and convicted of the crime. Okay. I'm angry for Greg. I'm appalled. Like, you just, you went and did acid and you're like, you know who deserves to feel my wrath? My buddy's mother. Who lets me use her basement to jam and drink beer. Yeah, and make these stupid songs. He then turns over this song. And yeah, of course it's going to feel fucking great because you... Got away wow. with murder. Wow. In what shouldn't have been a perfect crime. He he throws a bloody... Like, he, he has a shower with the body in the bathroom, which is yeah wildly disturbing to me. In the video of him confessing, he talks about her last gasp of air. Oh. And actually recreates it. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. And then I'm also... I can see why this is controversial because this is a form of entrapment. Mm -hmm. He goes into severe detail, so I don't feel bad for Brian. But I do look at other cases where they want to look cool. Mm -hmm. You know, you are in this kind of world this kind of culture you you're trying to get a job essentially we've all fibbed on a resume (laughs) you know what I mean (laughs) I speak fluent French (laughs) yes yeah we've all fibbed on a resume this is a dark resume I believe Brian did it he gives a ton of details but I also see why you could entrap yourself and Mm -hmm. still be innocent and he gives details that were not known even to police yeah yeah absolutely yeah I don't have any empathy whatsoever for brian Mm -hmm. but i do see why the pro by operation mr big is controversial absolutely so unshockingly brian was immediately arrested following his confession and was extradited back to newfoundland to face criminal charges police took brian back to the home to have brian walk officers through the events of that night on june 10th 2001 he told officers where he walked after leaving the home and the spot by the fence where he tossed the knife over. Ten years later, the knife was still there, with DNA evidence, a video-recorded confession, and new evidence Brian was charged with first-degree murder. Very quickly, a plea bargain was reached between Brian and the Crown, and the charge was lessened to second-degree murder in exchange for pleading guilty. Brian was sentenced to life in prison with, with no chance of parole for 18 years, why do we need a guilty plea? I feel like we can go to trial with this. Okay. Let's keep going. We're going to keep going. Yeah. For seven years, Brian spent his sentence in a maximum security prison, and I wish the story ended here. But alas, we are in Canada, so I have a feeling that you know what what is about to happen. After the first seven years in max, he was then granted a transfer to a minimum security prison. Here, in April 2020, He was granted day parole. Our favorite. Okay. (laughs) 
we we just love a solid day parole oh my situation. Gosh. Since the twenties, I think. Yeah, Wayne Bowden, David Woodcock. After one Is that his day, name? Peter Woodcock, Peter David Wood, Kruger. David Kruger, Peter Woodcock. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It doesn't work, Canada. Let's make some changes here, friendos. After one year of living in a community facility and having day parole, the board revoked their decision based on Brian's online activities on a chat site, as well as breaches of COVID-19 protocols. He had found a relationship online and entered into an intimate relationship, but did not report this as part of his release conditions. But again, (laughs) friends, this is not where the story ends. In August 2022, the board again decided to grant Brian day parole for three months to participate in a time-limited community-based program, some reports mentioning that he was going to AA meetings. There's no mentions of what he was doing to be rehabilitated during this time? Well, no, of course not, (laughs) she says as she looks blankly, knowing the answer to her question. So when he finished the program in January, three months of programming, here's your rehabilitation. Okay. The parole board noted that there had been no further concerns in his behaviors and assessed he had gained new and real insights into your past behaviors and thinking. It's at this parole hearing that Brian finally gives a motive to the murder of Catherine. (laughs) As you likely have deduced from the fact that he stripped naked and attacked her, it was a sexual motivation for the crime. He stated he had made advances on Catherine in the past, but she had rejected him just before the murder. Tale as old as freaking time. Song as old as rhyme. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay, well that gives me my answers to why he's like, let me rock on up to my buddy's house. My buddy's mom's house. Femicide. Poor Catherine. Mm-hmm. Fresh off the Tory, Tory... Stafford case I'm just again like three months and I'm again prisoners can be reformed people change Mm -hmm. we are social workers that is our whole belief system that people can change but they have have job because yeah yeah exactly (laughs) it's true because it's absolutely true but things don't change in a three-month span that's why we I don't believe in transitional housing. You can't fix everything in a year. You need time. Time. Lots of time, Canada. Time, Canada. And you need to start at the beginning. You can't start when he's been in max prison for seven years. And then now you're like, AA AA can work. It doesn't work for everybody, but it can work. And I love that. He needs longer than three months. (laughs) Are you joking? Three months. <laughs> three freaking months? I can't change a habit in three months. No. And I'm a quote unquote normal person. <laughs> like I've been trying to stop chewing the skin around my fingernails oh, when I'm anxious my for whole life. 36 years. Yeah, yeah. Same. <laughs> Literally same. I've been trying to stop peeling my nails off <laughs> since I was old enough to get my nails done. It's like, okay. So Brian continues to be in a minimum security inmate since 2015, staying at Williams Head Institution in British Columbia, a prison with comfortable conditions housing mostly white-collar criminals. 
As for Greg, the government of Newfoundland paid $650,000 in compensation on humanitarian grounds, but not the admission of wrongdoing by the Crown in 2002, which this is, I'm, I'm so glad that Greg was compensated. Greg should not have had the need to be compensated. This is our tax dollars. Mm-hmm. So Greg deserved this yeah, 100% for what he went through. More a than bajillion, this. A, yeah. A hundred percent agree that he deserves at least a million angry at the police and the investigation because my tax dollars shouldn't have had to pay Greg Mm -hmm. because they should have done this right from the first place. Absolutely. Period. An inquiry into the wrongful conviction of Greg as well as two other men from Newfoundland, Randy Druken and Ronald Dalton, began in 2003 and is now known as the Lamar Inquiry. The Royal Newfoundland Constabulary's operating budget was increased by $5 million to implement a police training program after revealing that the police force was ill-equipped and improperly trained at the time of these wrongful convictions. You think? In 2005, an official apology from the Newfoundland and Labrador Crown Attorney's Office was offered to Greg for the role they played in his prosecution and for allowing circumstantial evidence to be used against him in a court of law. Given the level of emotional and financial hardship that Greg endured over the decade-long, decade-long fight to clear his name, Lamar argued that an additional 650000 in compensation should be awarded to Greg. I agree. He lost his rights for 10 years. Mm -hmm. He was in prison. He was Mm -hmm. just, quote unquote, free. Mm -hmm. He was a thousand percent in prison. He was followed around by police. You could argue those are guards. He's still going to have this reputation Mm -hmm. in his, where he is. Like so much. So So many people Mm -hmm. must have believed that Greg killed his mom. Yeah. And you're picking up bananas at the same grocery store. You're not. You're mm-hmm. getting weird looks. You're getting whispers. Nobody talks to you. You have a kid. Mm-hmm. You have a wife. She probably was chastised out of some of her groups and community. Mm-hmm. They were just, they were, they weren't living. They were yeah. existing. Yeah. They, they, yeah, they needed more than that and they deserved more than that. This, along with 45 recommendations, were directed to the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary and Greg was awarded the money. In 2010, the Royal Newfoundland Constabulary became the first North American police department to introduce the use of of peace interviewing technique in relation to the interrogation of individuals suspected of crimes. This type of interrogation method allows investigators to build rapport with the suspect and allows the suspect to provide their account of events uninterrupted before officers begin to present them with any evidence of inconsistencies and contradictions. The peace method encourages more of a dialogue between the investigator and suspect rather than the police having tunnel vision and jumping to conclusions. This wrongful conviction and murder of Catherine Carroll was featured on the CTV television program W5 in October 2022 and can be found on YouTube. Since Brian did not have a trial, the video confession was never submitted as evidence. Here in the documentary is the first time the Canadian public has access to the video. Greg is now a Newfoundland firefighter with St. John's Regional Fire Department, where he holds the rank of lieutenant. Greg was named Firefighter of the Year in 2021. Between bouts of night terrors, he continues to be an advocate for those wrongly accused and continues to raise questions of the police mishandling of his mother's murder. 
In 2023, Greg requested an external review of the handling of key evidence that was not brought forward to provide first-degree murder prior to offering the lesser plea deal of second-degree murder. Greg believes that there was ample evidence that the murder was premeditated and sexual in nature, and this crime should have gone to trial. In June 2023, Brian was granted day parole without time limitations. (laughs) Wow. Greg states, it takes a bit out of me every time, but I will never stop fighting for my mom. Wow. Right? This case. June 2023. So on day of recording, this mofo has been out for seven months. Yep, yep, yep. Seven months. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that he was rehabilitated. He went and to we're AA still, for three months. And listen, like this crime happened within my lifetime and he's out within my lifetime. And this is why I get so angry at the Canadian justice system. I know. He went to AA for three months, and he's a free man walking amongst us all. hmm And I hope he's made changes. And I hope that, I, I, I don't think that, sadly, I don't think that Greg's going to be able to get any more justice with Brian going back because there's no chance of, Mm-mm. oh, gosh, this is a frustrating case. What I hope happens if Greg has the ability to argue the plea deal, that what? potentially there could be a new trial. I don't know if that's a thing in Canada. I don't know either. And, and I that's just... exactly what you mentioned mm-hmm. as we were reading through. Yeah. Why do we need a plea deal? We yeah. have all of this evidence. Mm-hmm. Take it to trial. Yeah. It couldn't have been a long trial. Greg's trial lasted six months. Mm-hmm. And arguably, we're already having to pay out Greg. Uh-huh. Rightfully so. Uh-huh. We're already spending money. Why aren't we charging him? Uh-huh. That's so frustrating. Mm-hmm. So, so in total, he would have spent 26 years in prison then. In a low... Minimum, yeah. In a minimum. In a white collar. White collar. British Columbia. As a murderer. Uh-huh. A... And in all fairness, a violent criminal. He yes. was. He was... The only reason that we have him is because he was making poor decisions. Yeah. From the get-go, he was trying to, like, uh, he hasn't just hurt Catherine Carroll. He's hurt how many people who are, who now have substance abuse issues. Or has died because of being poisoned by yeah. substances and drugs and yeah. alcohol. Like, the this is, that's wild. I see why this is such a, wow. I know. So <laughs> I'm going to keep my eyes, ears, and fingers on the case Mm -hmm. and we'll bring more updates if there's any i'm gonna follow greg i don't know if he's on social media or anything like that he's gotta be but he is fighting for this and he continues to advocate for other people who've been wrongfully convicted Mm -hmm. so yeah i I will say we want to do a follow-up episode of some of the cases because there has been updated there has been updates in a couple of the cases that we have done. So maybe later in the year. Yeah, maybe uh, we can do a wrap-up episode mm-hmm. at the end of this year. That mm-hmm. would be a really good, yeah. um, like, we finish the first year of podcasting. 
it's we're coming up on a new year and now we got we got news we're not just doing old cases we're mm-hmm. doing cases that are currently in the news and being affected barry and sherman barry mm-hmm. and sherman barry and honey sherman is a really good example of that yeah. uh, just as we were recording there was updates so by next october december we're gonna have updates on a bunch of these absolutely so greg we are so sorry <laughs> on behalf of the newfoundland constabulary royal i'm gonna call it newfoundland yeah yeah royal newfoundland constabulary take that (laughs) yeah greg we are sorry um we wish you the absolute we do wish you you the absolute best you and tina and your son zachary and, uh, and any he, children that you may have now. Kicking other... ass. Yeah. Okay, lieutenant. All right. Uh, send us one of your sexy dog and fireman <laughs> calendars, please. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> the two married women say <laughs> on their podcasts that their husbands definitely listen to. <laughs> we love you so much, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come back next week. Come back next week. This uh, this case was wild. Mm-hmm. And I found that it, like, a lot of cases that we do have been cold or mm. the murder has never been found or you kind of assume who the murder is, but it, it's not convicted. This ha- did have a little bit of a nice, neat bow. Yeah. And I did... At Greg's... When Brian was mentioned... There wasn't, I was like, oh, what a narc, like turning in your, <laughs> turning in your friend. You know what I mean? Like I never thought that Greg was guilty ever in this yeah. entire thing, but that was my only original feeling on Brian of like, wow, bro, like yeah. he gives you beers and lets you jam out in his basement and the first, you're like, oh, police officers here, da, da, da. So like I was wrong about Brian. Fuck you, Brian. And with that. We bid you adieu. We bid you adieu. And you know what, Brian? I hope that every time you turn your pillow over, it's never cold. Ever. (laughs) It's cold. (laughs) Not for him. (laughs) Bye.